0: Learn more about Messianic Judaism and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. When you were younger, were you a rule breaker or a rule follower? Thumbs up for rule follower, everyone out there. We're doing a little survey. Thumbs up for rule follower. See a thumb from, uh, from probably from Diane there. All right. <laughs> this is a tweet from, from Disney Mommy here. Okay, so he's found a way uh, to to do that. Uh, Mom said the only thing I was allowed to bring today to dinner today was rolls. So here we have Swiss rolls, Tootsie rolls, all kinds of of things, right? (laughs) Kind of getting around the system. And then uh, the next one, uh, we have a, a motorcycle parked in the ideal spot because to the right is the tow zone and to the left you have to pay. And uh, I guess they weren't thinking that uh, that anyone could park there, so that was uh, very smart of that of that person. So uh, I shared this with you today to to for us to think about why we have rules. Are they meant to be kind of bent or broken? And uh, you know, uh, allegedly a religious newspaper uh, reporter found W.C. Fields reading a Bible once, which was very unusual. Uh, this was near the end of his life. And uh, so he asked him, why, why are you reading that? And Fields responded, I'm looking for loopholes. Okay, so this is, this is, uh, is this where, where we want to go? The, the word Torah is often translated law, but it can be rendered as instruction. I want you to picture in your mind a religious person, right? Try to picture in your mind someone that's that's devout. What, what's, what makes them devout? What makes them religious? What do they look like? Is it because they're following uh, a lot of rules, a lot of laws in the Torah? Does that make us devout? You know, a lot of the Torah is actually story or narrative. But this week's uh, Torah portion actually contains mostly laws, rulings, and ordinances like a, like a version of the Ten Commandments, but expanded. So this week, we actually get uh, laws, uh, which is very interesting. Um, and in fact, that's what makes the, the name uh, of the Parsha this week, Mishpatim, means rulings or laws. And these laws are part of the covenant at Sinai that God made with Israel uh, when they said in this portion, Na'asei v'nishma, Everything that God has said, we will do and we will hear. In other words, we will shema, right? We know what that means. We will understand. We will obey. We will listen. Uh, We are shemaing. And this hints that there's more to this Parsha than just a bunch of regulations. When I was in high school and college, I volunteered for a few summers at muscular dystrophy camp where they would pair counselors with kids who had muscular dystrophy, which is actually a few different uh, muscular diseases and can vary in its impact. Uh, so some of the uh, campers could walk with some uh, effect to them and others needed a wheelchair uh, to get around. And one year, many of the counselors were kind of uh, just phoning it in. They were following the basic rules, uh, making sure their campers you know, got fed and everything. Uh, but at the pool, they were joking around and goofing off with other counselors and not really paying a lot of attention to the camper they were assigned to. And so uh, early in the week, one of the leaders had a meeting with all the counselors. He brought us all in and he said, I want you all to to stand up and to sit back down. So he asked us to do that. And then he said, I want you all to, to raise your hand. And so we all did so. And then he said, uh, some of these campers can't do what you all just did. This camp is there one week to have a real camp experience. They look forward to it all year. For many of them, it's the best week uh, of, their, of their year. And this camp is a community, and that's why we're here. We're not here for ourselves. Rather, we're here for them. And this brings us to this week's Parsha Mishpatim, which means what? Put it in the chat if you know. That's right. Rules or ordinances, and it's a fitting title because it's mostly, as I said, a series of, of rulings. Uh, some of these laws are pretty antiquated, though. Right? Most of us don't have servants or uh, oxen. I don't see any oxen on your on your screens there, and uh, there aren't a lot of Hittites and Amorites around to tempt us with their foreign gods. So, uh, so what do we do? And some of them also might seem a little bit harsh if you're reading to this, to our modern brains, like the ones where the penalty is death. So what, what do we do? How do we understand this? One way is to compare them to other ancient law codes. And we can see how unique and beautiful the Torah actually is. So in the ancient Near East, there were codes like the code of uh, Hammurabi. Perhaps some of you remember this one from school, or maybe, you know, you were there. I don't know how, how old you are. But anyways, this had some similar rulings, uh, but uh, the reasoning behind these codes is not that they come from God. Usually, it's just whatever the king wants, right? He, he conquered them, so he gets to say whatever the people have to do to make him look good, right, and make his kingdom look good. Um, also, there's differences in class in these other ancient rulings. So if you strike a man in a different social class, there'd be a different uh, penalty, for that um, different thing that you'd have to pay, um, depending on how, how rich you were. Um, there were different and harsher consequences, consequences for women than for men. Women were put to death for uh, adultery and men could go free. This is explicitly in the text, they're, they're, they're fine. Um, that, which, you know, of course, is, uh, the Torah is not like this. Uh, moreover, depending on how much money you have, there's different laws for you, right? You could, uh, sometimes you could buy your way out of a situation, out of trouble. Uh, and finally, in these ancient law codes, this, the, the holiness of human life was not valued as much. You could be put to death for minor things, right? For, for stealing, for example, that would, robbery would, would mean you would, you would die, as opposed to the high value of life in the Torah. So contrast that with this week's Parsha, where we get these kind of more uniquely designed rulings. So one is provisions and protections for accidentally killing someone or hurting someone, right? There's a city of refuge you can go to. There's a place you can go where um, there won't be vengeance taken upon you. There's restitution and restoration for injuring someone or for stealing, right? So if you take something, then then the Torah says you have to give back even more to restore that relationship. Um, This Parsha talks a lot about not mistreating orphans and widows and the poor, the vulnerable in the society, but showing them kindness, um, this Parsha talks about not accepting bribes or perverting justice for the rich. So we see how different this is than uh, the Code of Hammurabi or other ancient texts. The thing is, these rulings have heart. They have substance. They have depth. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's a relational document. A lot of rabbis look at this as the ketubah. What is a ketubah? It's a marriage document. It's a marriage agreement between God and the Jewish people. He rescued us. He brought us to the mountain. He gave us his ketubah, and then he dwelt with us. He prepared a house to be with us, which is the tabernacle, right? But that's, you know, that's next week's partial. We don't have to get into that, right? But we see overall that this Torah, this giving of the law is more like the story of a bride and groom. This is a law of love. Take, for example, this ruling, which you wouldn't find in any other ancient law code. Let's see if we can uh, we can pull it up here. Thank you, Robert. Uh, can you go back one? Did I put this? Yes, perfect. Um, I don't know if we have it. Anyway, I'll, I'll just share it. I don't think I... Uh, I don't think I I posted this one. If you find your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you must surely bring it back to him again, right? This is your enemy now. If you see the donkey of the one, there it is. If you see the donkey of the one that hates you lying down under its burden, do not leave it. Rather, you are to release it with him or you are to help him. So being kind to your enemies, right? This is a shocker, right? This would have been totally different from any other document in the ancient Near East right? And it sounds a lot like what? The teaching in the gospels, right? So, or how about this one? This is, uh, we find this in two places in the Parsha. You must not exploit or oppress an outsider for you were outsiders in the land of Egypt. That's Exodus 22. And then the next chapter has it again. Do not oppress an outsider for you know the heart of an outsider since you were outsiders in the land of Egypt, I really like the second one because in the Hebrew, it says literally, don't oppress a foreigner because you know his nefesh, you know his life, you know his soul, right? So if someone ever says to you, you don't know me, right? You don't know my life. You can say to them, well, I want to know your life. I don't want you to be an outsider to me because that is what the Torah says, right? So why do we show kindness to strangers? The Torah gives us an emotional and moral backbone, a foundation, because we know how it feels to be oppressed, to be hurt. The word for outsider here is the word ger, which is kind of like a resident alien within Israel. See, because Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations— Sometimes it worked out, right? And uh, there would actually be folks outside of Israel who would draw near to Israel and to the God of Israel. The Greek Tanakh, the Septuagint, translates the word ger as proselytos, which is where we get the word (laughs) proselyte. And proselytize, I suppose, but proselyte. (laughs) In the second temple period, proselytes would attend the synagogue and cling to the Jewish people and the God of Israel. Scholars believe they probably would have followed the laws applicable to Noah, and they would recognize that there's only one God, and they would follow the moral laws of the Torah. Perhaps some of them even converted to Judaism. The The rabbis interpreted the word ger in this way, as a Proselyte or a convert, uh, and they took it to apply how how we should treat non-Jews in our midst who are trying to embrace God. So this is from uh, Rambam Maimonides. Uh, this is what he said about this this law: the love of the stranger who has entered beneath the wings of the divine presence is enjoined by two biblical commandments. One, because he is considered to be within the category of re'im, a friend and one because he is a stranger. And the Torah states, and you shall love the stranger. The Holy One commanded that we should love the stranger just as he commanded that we should love him. As it is written, you shall love the Lord your God. The Holy One himself loves the stranger as it is written, and he loves the stranger. So here it's connecting to how God feels about the stranger and how God loves us, and we should love the stranger as we love uh, in some ways, as we love God, there's a connection there, right? Which is the same thing Yeshua said. Love, your, uh, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Squeezing all the moral applications out of this law into the sweet juice of justice. This is what we find in uh, a portion of the Talmud. Just as there is a prohibition against exploitation, onaah, in buying and selling, so is their exploitation in statements, i.e. verbal mistreatment. The Mishnah proceeds to cite examples of verbal mistreatment. One may not say to a seller, for how much are you selling this item if he does not wish to purchase it? He thereby upsets the seller when the deal fails to materialize. The Mishnah lists other examples. If one is penitent, that is, repentant, another may not say to him, remember your earlier deeds, if one is the child of converts, another may not say to him, remember the deeds of your ancestors, as it is stated, and a convert you shall not mistreat, nor shall you oppress him. A gear In other words, if a proselyte is trying to turn away from idolatry and moving toward God, you don't remind them of their former sins, right? Or the sins of, of previous generations. How often do we do this in our conversations? We bring up the mistakes of others, right? And our tradition, tradition says... We shouldn't do that even for a stranger, right? Let alone for a loved one. So it matters how we talk to people. And uh, this is from the next chapter of the Talmud. It's uh, dealing with the same law. What is the meaning of that which is written, and you shall not mistreat a convert nor oppress him because you were strangers in the land of Egypt? We learned in a baraita that Rabbi Natan says, a defect that is in you, do not mention it in another. Since the Jewish people were themselves strangers, they are not in a position to demean a convert because he is a stranger in their midst. This reminds us of Yeshua's admonition. What does he say? Take the plank out of your own eye before correcting someone else, right? And it's the the Talmud says the same thing. So what do we see underneath all these rules and, and regulations? We see a relationship, right? A covenant, a pact, a promise to uphold. The holiness of human life, to be compassionate toward the stranger and even toward our enemies, there is a why. There is a why underneath our following the Torah. We can and should have intention, direction, moral agency, right? If we uh, we're not robots, okay, right? We belong to God, and therefore we follow Him. If you have thought about the Torah, maybe you thought about it just as like a checklist. I have to do this and that and the other. I encourage you to think of it more as a moral foundation. It is a relational love letter. It's a ketubah. When you read the Torah, when you hear the Torah, when you study Torah, start with the why, start with the intention underneath it. I want to leave you with one last image from the Parsha. This is quite striking, and it's, it's a little strange, but it's uh, after all these uh, mishpatim, all of these rulings, this is what we see. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. They saw the God of Israel, and under his feet was something like a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the very heavens. Yet he did not raise his hand against the nobles of Bnei Israel. So they beheld God and ate and drank. So all of these laws and rulings and regulations, what does it lead to? It leads to having a meal with God, seeing God in some way, experiencing God, right? Following him, obeying him isn't about getting everything right. It's not about the checklist. It's about the moral and ethical foundation of Torah, which leads to experiencing God's presence. And we know that Yeshua came to bring these two together. He is the living Torah. He came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. He came to teach on the moral foundation of the Torah. He elevated and drew out the ethic of compassion for our enemies, compassion for the stranger, compassion for the poor and the hurting, compassion for the proselyte, the ger, and compassion for us. Love your enemies, he said. Pray for those who persecute you. He, he went to the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the marginalized, the hurting, those with skin diseases that were shunned and kicked to the curb, and he ministered to them. Yeshua is the fullness of Judaism. He is the fullness of the Torah, the essence and the foundation of our faith. He shows the heart of God that beats underneath our sacred text. Uh, Finally, I want to leave us with these words from the Apostle Paul, which reminds us not to treat our obedience to Torah like a checklist. And even if you're on mute, let's read this together. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move, remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I own and I hand over my body so that I might boast, but have not love, I gain nothing. May you be encouraged by these words. And so let's pray. Avinu, we thank you that uh, you've given us regulations and laws and rulings, but we thank you that your heart for the poor, your heart for the holiness, the sanctity of human life, your heart for the stranger, your heart for us is, is in it. And we pray that you would help us to be intentional uh, with our obedience and not to, to follow you blindly and to, to have a checklist, but to, to be relational with you and to study your word and to hear your word um, in that way that we can draw near to you and, and, and be in your presence and in Yeshua's name we pray.